Welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined, as always, by Barnabas Piper and uh, not by Ron Martin. Uh, Pipe, our boy, is, uh, he's, he's living the dream. This is, a, this is a good Ronnie Martin week. I think he's in, he's in Minnesota and then Pittsburgh. So, um, which, which is, exa- that sounds exactly right. I mean, if he, yeah. if he had mixed in like Oklahoma City or something, I would have felt better about it. Yeah. But so it just, that, that, is, that is Ronnie's ministry, those sort of North Middle America salt-of-the-earth cities. It's the kind of city where he can go and be like the coolest guy at whatever gathering he's at. You know what I mean? And that's, that's no offense to him, but it's different than like, it's different than going to Manhattan. You know what I mean? Um, it, when, when, you're in, when you're in Minnesota and you're Ronnie Martin, like you're probably the coolest guy at whatever church gathering you're at. Don't, don't you think just, it's safe to say that? Oh, absolutely. And I, I just had a conversation, not about Ronnie, but about just like the range of cool. So last yeah. month I was in Portland for a conference. And right. uh, as I described it to a friend, I walked into the green room there and I felt like, I was like, oh, I'm the homeschool kid here. Oh, right, man. Yeah. You walk into a green room in Portland and you feel like Andy Griffith, you know. Right. But yeah, I know. Uh, like, I'm, I'm Opie Taylor. And, and, you're uh, Opie Taylor. And, they're, and they're all cool. Whereas I was just at a conference in Kansas City and you look <laughs> around and you're like, oh, Opie's the cool kid here. Exactly. Like, I'm probably still Opie, but definitely the cool kid here. Dude, see, if you're Ronnie, you, you could swing a cat in any direction in Portland and hit a Ronnie Martin, you know, which is why he's not going there. It's very savvy where he's going. Oh, um, yeah, he, he knows how to play his cards. I still want the T-shirt, man. I want the Ronnie Martin tour T-shirt um, <laughs> with with all of his tour stops for each year uh, printed on the back. I think uh, I think Missional Wear needs to make that happen. So, Jeff, if yeah, you're listening, we could, we could, honestly, um, we could just call it like the Red State Tour. Yeah, the Red State Tour. There you go, man. The Red State Tour, Ronnie Martin, and uh, a list of cities on the back. And I, I, I use the term cities loosely because he's not, <laughs> he's not often in big metro areas. Like this yeah. is unusual for him. I think we need to call it like um, boroughs or uh, yeah. bergs or Burks. yeah, villes. Dude, do you know what he's? Do you know what he's doing in these cities? Is he is he playing like arena gigs or is this like? More denominational. I'm pretty sure it's all denominational stuff because Minnesota is the home of the uh, evangelical free denomination and Pittsburgh. He goes there regularly for denominational stuff. So I think they must have some sort of a hub there or like or maybe it's a regional thing because he's sort of in the I don't know what they call it. The Rust Belt region. Interesting. Um, I'm sure they denominational stuff and and Kent to Colby stuff. Yes. Um, But Pipe, we're all going to be traveling in a couple of weeks to an event called Live in Louisville. Uh, if you're new to the program, this is an event that we have been promising, that we've been talking about for a couple of years. It's going to happen October 22nd, Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, you can go to happyrantpodcast.com, and I can tell you, Pipe, and I'm happy to report that uh, tickets for this thing are almost sold out. So we are getting to a point where the room is filling up, and uh, if you want to be a part of Live in Louisville, if you want to eat she cake with us and play Smash uh, after hours, you're going to need to uh, to hop on to happyrantpodcast.com. Um, and get yourself a ticket to Live in Louisville at the same time uh, that you're getting a bag of Lagarus Roasters Happy Rant Signature Blend Coffee, which uh, you can get a free copy of my book, Hello, I Love You, Adventures in Adoptive Fatherhood. Uh, the next 15 Lagarus Roasters customers will get uh, will get a free copy of that book. So and those just a little tend, Those promo. tend to go fast. So listeners, when, when we do a book giveaway with Lagarus, Really, honestly, the coffee should be flying off the shelves all the time. But whenever we do a sure. book giveaway, it goes fast. Yeah, for sure, man. Heck is doing us a favor. That's how good the coffee is. And and also happy to report that we will be serving Lagarus Roasters coffee in Louisville. So uh, I've got the I've, I've got it within my means now to make that happen. So um, the event just got that much better. Uh, but pipe. Speaking of business things, um, we are we are blessed to have two sponsorships this week. So. Uh, when it rains, it pours money on this program. So I want you to take care of the business of uh, telling us about these books. Yeah, our first sponsor is The Good Book Company, um, which I think that's one of my favorite publisher names. Like, they just went for it. Like, no, we, we're The Good Book Company. Everyone else Dude, is I'm the looking them up right mediocre. now. I don't think I've ever visited their website, so I'm going to have a look at it. Yeah. Which they, they're, they're a smaller publisher, do largely books on, on kind of the reformed theological end of things, but not, you know, not the heavy handed stuff. They do actually yeah. do a lot of good books. But the one we're highlighting today is a brand new book from uh, Trillia Newbell, 
called God's Very Good Idea. Trulia is, she's a friend of mine and would probably be known by quite a number of the listeners here. She's a, she's an African-American writer and works for the ERLC along with her own speaking and writing. One of the things that she is asked to speak on regularly is race and the church, racial reconciliation. She's done a book on that. Um, But this is a children's book that she did helping kids see God's design for for race, but also just the variety of people that God made, how God's plan was to create a multiplicity of races and, um, you know, people's hobbies and how people look and how people act and people's preferences and their gifts, and then how people ruined it, and then how God redeemed it. And mm-hmm. so she tells the gospel story to kids. She helps kids see the beauty of different cultures and different races. Um, the illustrator for the book, did a fantastic job. Like I, I actually, I like kids books more than adult books because they're, they're generally more fun. They say what they have to say, because if you're going to, if you're going to get a kid to read a book, it better be interesting and it better look good. And this one is, is both. So God's very good idea. I think this is one that if you are a parent of white kids, you should pick it up to help them begin to recognize the image of God and people who don't look anything like them. If you're a parent of non-white kids, this is a book that will help your kids see what culture often fails to tell them, and that is their own worth and beauty in the eyes of God. So definitely pick this one up. God's a very good idea. It's available now, um, and uh, I think it's only been out for a couple weeks, and it truly is a, truly is a great writer. So again, God's a very good idea from the Good Book Company. We're, uh, I'm, I'm excited to have this one as a sponsor, so definitely go get that one. The yeah, other is a really book. Good, I'm actually looking at it right now. It looks it, the the artwork. It looks really fresh. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's yeah, and, it, and it's not yeah. It's not a. It's not like a tiny little preschool kids book. I would say I'd say like preschool up through maybe older elementary is who it's aimed at. But this is the kind of book that so clearly lays out the truths of the gospel and God's image in people that it's it's one that you should probably stand up and read in like an adult Sunday school class. Take take mm. 10 minutes and read this and it will open some eyes. It's really, really good. Awesome. Awesome. Our other sponsor is Waterbrook uh, with a new book from Mark Batterson called Whisper. Um, it's, uh, it's decidedly different than Trillia's book. Uh, it's all about listening to God and understanding how God speaks to us. So what he does is he takes seven different ways that God communicates to people um, that would be scripture, our desires, the doors that God opens or closes, the dreams or passions that people have, other people speaking to us, uh, something more direct, like a prompting from the spirit, and then the pain and suffering in our life. And the point that he makes is that sometimes God is very loud and very clear, like commands from scripture, but often God speaks in a more subtle uh, whisper, thus the title of the book. Mm-hmm. And he just is helping people learn you know, we often pray in a one way, you know, we communicate to God, but we fail to know how to listen to God. So Batterson is helping people learn how to do that um, and and do it in these in this variety of ways. <laughs> what I thought was funny about this is that they use the phrase in the, in the descriptive copy, God's love languages. Uh, and I, wow. I just, I was like, no, 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 there's only five love languages. Gary yeah, Chapman absolutely. said so. Absolutely. And, uh, and God doesn't get to add two more. There are not seven love languages. Sorry, Mark Batterson, <laughs> and sorry, That's God. Awesome, <laughs> Gary Chapman Dude, said so. When you were uh, when you were in Israel, did you have like the little earpiece that went in your ear that was called a whisper? And your like yes. tour guide would talk into his mic. And I feel like when we were in Israel, we were always like the the, the discussion getting off the bus was always should we bring the whisper? And our guy Itai <laughs> was always like uh, maybe you will wear the whisper. Maybe you would like to wear the whisper. You know, so that became like. A thing, and if you lost your whisper, you know you would get dog. It was like two hundred fifty bucks to replace the whisper. So, oh yeah, I mean the head the headphones were like seventy two cents. They were cheap little things, but like yeah. the thing itself, the little yeah. the little plug in thing, yeah. And it was a little bit like having God's voice in your ear. And oh, it was incredible. I love the also whisper properly with an Israeli accent. So that's um, right. That's right. Yeah, the whisper was great. Now I'm looking pipe at uh, at Batterson's author page on Amazon, and it's an interesting like fashion walk through like from the early 2000s to now um oh yeah 
Yeah, he used to do like the the dark t-shirt under the short sleeve button down kind of look. Yes, um, dude, the the dark t-shirt, the the very visible kind of like man necklace in the yeah. in the early two yeah, thousands. Like, I, I think he did. Yeah, he was a puka shell guy at one point. Yeah, he was a puka shell guy. I'm looking at some very like kind of s- slim line early two thousands glasses, and also the thing that you would do with like gelling your hair, where you would really like thicken up the the the, the spikes. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, where they were actually like, look like a like a spiked collar across the top of your head, as opposed to like the the messy look. It was like no, it was like actual. Yeah, it was like a spiked collar. Rex, it was like a crown of your dog. own little crown of like gel thorns around your head. You know? <laughs> the crown of gel thorns. I love exactly. it. Exactly. And it, yeah, and it was definitely gel because that was like like pomade wouldn't do that, and hairspray is not strong yeah. enough. It had yeah. to be something exceptionally goopy, and I don't think hair wax was really a thing back then. Exceptionally goopy and with like mega hold. So that if you went out in like a hundred mile an hour wind, that that thing wasn't moving. Um, now I'm looking at, at at like a later 2000s Batterson pick, in which the glasses got a little bit chunkier, and then his current pick is full on like he did the whole 30. So he got kind of scrawn. He got a little scrawned out, like we were talking about with Ron last week. And we're looking at like the the distressed denim shirt, a little bit of scruff on the chin, and the glasses are so thick and heavy now. Um, it's a fascinating transformation. Yeah, it's crazy how like the face gets thinner as the glasses yes. get thicker. It's like the, the, the weight transfer to glasses. the frames. That's the hipster journey, though. If you think about it, like you're all you're all quinoaed out, man. You're all gaunt and yeah. cheekbony at the very at the self same time that your glasses have gotten just gigantic. Like we're looking at almost like Harry Carey type glasses in this in this Batterson iteration that I'm looking at. So holy cow. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, man. That pretty just makes amazing. me want to go pull up the Will Ferrell videos of him doing Harry Carey. Oh, dude, I love those. Is there anything funnier than those, man? My kids are always showing me like, and don't get me wrong, I like Key and Peele. I think Key and Peele are hilarious. And my kids are are kind of into those videos now. But for my money, man, Will Ferrell doing Harry Carey. Uh, the one with Jeff Goldblum, where they're talking about planets and stuff. <laughs> so funny, nice, man. Well, and- beat it. I mean, I, I think my favorite Will Ferrell skit was I, it was, I think it was the first one he ever did on SNL. It was the uh, the get off the shed skit. Oh, yeah. Do you yeah. remember that one? Yeah. Oh, he's, yeah. He's yelling at the, the kid off camera. Be a buddy. Uh-huh. Be a buddy. Amazing. Amazing. Pipe, it's, uh, it, it's kind of ironic that we're laughing right now because we're about to talk. Well, we're about to talk about two topics that I'm confident we cannot do well. Um, and I'm afraid. I'm actually really nervous of these topics. And uh, but that, that has never stopped us from going going in on something. <laughs> like the inability to speak well about it has never stopped us from trying. It really hasn't, and it probably shouldn't stop us this time. So I should probably get over like whatever my issues are vis a vis these topics. But one thing that that I do find interesting that people have said to us, like both on and off social media, is that they they like it when we go a little bit more serious. And um, I think we're going to have to do that today, man. I think these are some some topics that um, that require a little bit of thoughtfulness. So we're gonna we're gonna keep it on that tip. Not that we can't uh, have some ha-has in between, but uh, as much as I hate to say this, we are going to talk about the whole take a knee phenomenon in the NFL. And um, I don't know, man. It's Before weird. Listeners, you- turn this off though. Yeah, this is this is not about sports. It's a it's much right. more about race, America, free speech, protesting the time and place to protest like those issues yeah. which have risen to the surface because it's it's in a prominent place like the NFL. But we're not we're not going to do hate it when we talk about football and we're not we're not going to do that. We're not going to talk about, you know, quarterbacking or Kaepernick or even really who's doing this. We're more just going to talk about the fact that that it's happening and, and what it means for sports, for the NFL, for race stuff. So um, I, I'm going to let you lead off here, Pipe. Um, and I, I just want to know how this is sitting with you right now. Um, it, yeah, I'm just going to let you talk about that. Um, I... I'm not afraid to take a side when I see a clear right and wrong in a situation. Um, And this is one that seems to have gotten very divisive because um, it seems to me that a lot of people are misinterpreting the, the protest. They see it as protesting, uh, including 
uh, a very public figure who is the leader of the free world. Um, <laughs> who, they, Perhaps the most public figure there is, right, maybe. Yes, very outspoken figure who shall not be named. Um, and they, they're, they're describing it as protesting the flag and the country. Mm-hmm. Um, as if all of that is encapsulated in these couple minutes when the national anthem is played before an entertainment event. Um, That fails to recognize what a a large number of these men who have been the sort of the pioneers in the protest Mm -hmm. have said repeatedly, which is they're picking a public time to protest systemic injustice in our country and it's not it's not a statement about the armed forces it's not a statement about america in fact uh, several of them have said it is because of their devotion to america that they want to see it improve which to me is the heart of a, a good protest so it's mm-hmm. it's it's orderly it's peaceful it's public it's disruptive but not in a um not in a hurtful way yeah. and it and it raises the issue that they're trying to raise to better the country. Now, there's plenty of people who are saying saying the opposite, you know, that they're disrespectful and things like that. And right. that to me is a level of patriotism that is is pretty, I don't know, <laughs> monochromatic is the word that comes to mind, essentially meaning uh white. They they are offended that that the that the that the God bless America and make America great again is not is not a universal universally accepted reality. Um, right. So that's that's my initial take on it, and which is to say I side with the guys who are taking a knee and expressing their, well, first of all, they're using their rights in a very good way, I think, and, mm-hmm. and expressing an opinion that I agree with, which of course I have to call into question whether or not I'm, I'm totally fair because I agree with them. Like I agree with the point they're trying to make, so therefore I'm going to be more inclined to agree with how they protest. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, I guess the question I have for you, though, is I, I get everything that you're saying, and and I mostly agree with it, but I, I question, I guess I question whether or not this is actually doing anything to help the conversation, because most of the rhetoric that I see about it in the mainstream media, on social media, it's just more people, like, ripping each other's faces off, and... I, I guess I fail to see how that improves anything. Um, so I, I guess I'm willing to have my mind changed on that. And I, I would like to hear stories of, you know, it's been redemptive in this way or it's been helpful in that way. But I guess I'm just not seeing it. You know what I mean? One, and I wonder, I agree with you in, in raising that question. Is, mm-hmm. this, is this helpful? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I do think, I think... People talk all the time about activism and raising awareness. You know, that's why they, they hashtag stuff. Like hashtag activism is, yes. is a quote unquote raising awareness, which right. I think is largely BS. Yeah. I think it's agreed. usually a self-congratulatory way to participate without participating. Absolutely. However, publicly taking a knee as if I mean, and this and and as we have seen, this has this has affected people's livelihood. detrimentally. Uh I mean, this is a significant part of the reason Colin Kaepernick is not on an NFL roster right now, even though he may not be good enough to be a starter. That's up for debate, but he's good enough to be an NFL quarterback. And we're not talking about football though, man. I'm not going to, sorry, sorry, sorry. So livelihoods, it has, it can affect their livelihood. Um, (laughs) Right. And there has been calls for letting them go, firing them, suspending them, whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. So that that's an actual participation, and I think that way of raising awareness is significant. The problem mm-hmm. is in how America responds to things now. Everything mm-hmm. is polarized. Sure. So there there is no nuance. There's no thoughtfulness. I mean, you said, is this furthering the conversation? And my response would be, what conversation? It's a screaming mm-hmm. match. Yeah. You know, See, okay, so we talk about that because – you know, I've played football all my life. I've coached all my life. I coach at a black college now. By and large, you know, from day to day, my players are not interested in talking about this. Like, we, we don't talk about the protests. We don't talk about taking a knee. When we talk about race stuff, it's always in the context of some other kind of 
organic, enjoyable time that we're spending together in which it happens to come up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I, I find those times to be so life-giving and good and like instructive for me and hopefully, you know, interesting or helpful for them. Um, but none of it is happening as a result of what happened on Sunday afternoon. Uh, so I, I find that aspect of it interesting. Um, I, yeah, I also, I, I wonder if at some point, um, like, how do you stop something like this? You know what I mean? Like, when do you, how does this thing end? Uh, how does it end well? I, I guess as I look at at this kind of thing and, and the kind of rhetoric that you talked about, Pipe, in which everything is polarizing and everybody's just screaming at each other and ripping each other's faces off, there's no kind of organic and neat way to just walk away. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I think, I mean, like, I think back to the early 90s when there was all sorts of protests about, um, like, picketing abortion clinics and things like that. Right, right. It was sort of when, when the pro-life movement, I don't know if it was born then, but it became a much more activistic kind of thing. And you don't see that mm-hmm. much anymore. You don't see a lot of, you know, you see like the March for Life every January in different cities, but but very little of that. And my dad was heavily involved in those things. I remember going to some of those as a, as a younger elementary student. Um, mm-hmm. And then I remember, you know, 10 years ago asking him like, why did why'd you guys stop? Like, I'm glad they did because mm-hmm. it would have been strange to do that for 20 years. Um, yeah. But, but he, his response was basically just, you know, it, it seemed like the right thing to do, mm. you know, it, and then it seemed like the right thing to not do. Sure. And it, you know, yeah. and you think back on like Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement, these things sort of run their course. Mm-hmm. Now, the difference was that King was asking for specific actions. You know, there was there were laws that were passed and desegregation laws. Now, we all know that they haven't, the culture hasn't changed as dramatically as he would have liked, but certain mm-hmm. things happened. That's mm-hmm. the, the difficulty about a protest like this is that it, it's protesting a nebulous thing that some mm-hmm. people deny exists, not yeah. protesting a law. Right. Um, so, right. It's, you know, King wanted desegregation that was sure. a that was a thing he could ask for it was very concrete yeah i mean he wanted equality but that was a that was a legal representation of equality sure this this is a protest against something that i think is real but not something that is it's not a law that needs to change yeah 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 yeah, yeah. no maybe, I totally it's the, maybe it's the conviction of police officers who have shot unarmed people is that that would be a thing mm-hmm. um but that, but the thing is, that's a that's not a law that needs to change. That's a that's the systemic aspect mm-hmm. of injustice where the system favors those with a badge, right? And so, right. it's I think it's just I think it's just going to run its course when they do it for a year or two years or a few guys do it here and there over the course of the next several years. But it's not a. I mean, the fact that whole teams are doing it, I think we've got about two more weeks of that. Yeah. And then yeah. and then they'll go back to individual choice. Right. And at some point, you know, the guys who started it are going to say, I've made my point as well as I can. And it's time to not it's time to make my point in other ways somewhere else in sure. life. Yeah. And I guess that'll be interesting to see. I think learning how to make the point in other ways and seeing how people make the point in other ways is going to be a much more interesting kind of byproduct of this than the current byproducts. Um, and and I'll, I, I guess that's a good segue into my next question for you, which is, is there any part of you that's bummed that the NFL experience has become, I mean, for me, it feels like a freshman level poli sci class <laughs> where you've got half the students screaming about, you know, how much they hate America. And, and to be fair, it's usually like affluent white people who are screaming that in freshman poli sci classes, which is Curious, given the fact that, like, America is the land of milk and honey for those kids, by and large. America has spoon-fed them amazingness for 18 years. Candy and goodness. Right, right. So, I mean, you've got that, and then you've got, you know, half the class kind of, you know, defending America's goodness. And I guess for me, one of the things that I always loved and appreciated about football was 
the distinct lack of it feeling like a freshman poli-sci class. And <laughs> I would never have phrased it like that because it was an absence of a thing. Like I never put my finger on it, but yeah, it, yeah. it's th- the simple refreshment of smacking heads with somebody as opposed to yeah. having them scream at you and call you a commie or whatever. Or the simple refreshment of like watching the greatest athletes in the world smack each other in the head. Yes. And, you know, I feel like that's been, it's been tainted somewhat in, in, me saying that may also be a, it, it may be an outflow of the fact that the NFL is just kind of sucking across the board lately. Um, it's like the old Oliver Stone picture, Any Given Sunday, which if you saw that, it was a bad football movie. And it was bad for a lot of the same reasons that the NFL is bad right now, which is that you don't care about any of the characters and like the social commentary is really ham-fisted and wait, wait, wait. Oliver Stone did a ham-fisted social commentary. I, I know, I know, dude. I'm Shocking. It's hard I'm to believe. Stunned. But I don't know. All this to say, I'm rambling now. But all this to say, like, is it is it dampening your enjoyment of football? Um, yes and no. I think mm-hmm. it's. I love the game of football. The thing that is most disappointing to me about the NFL right now is the product on the field is sure. is less enjoyable to watch than it used to be. But it is also just, you know, it. I'm tired of watching people who are trained play-by-play and color commentators try to be political commentators. Right. I'm frustrated that, I mean, I'm, while I completely defend the athlete's right to protest, the way that media works in America is that that becomes the story. And so, you know, uh, a team's performance or a player's performance is is secondary to their choice of how to respond to the national anthem now. Mm. And I wish those two things could remain separate, but I also like, but I'm not, I'm not saying stick to sports to the athletes. It, so yeah, a thing that used to be pure entertainment has now become a, it's become, it's freshman poli sci ish. Yeah. And and that's, yeah, that's frustrating. Um, But usually once kickoff happens, that, Mm. that slows down. Yeah. And it and it's like the announcers have a, a breath of fresh air and they can just talk about the game. And then then yeah. you have to deal with the fact that the game itself is, in my opinion, less enjoyable than it once was. But um but yeah, it, it does make the it makes it makes the commentary surrounding the game. So I listen to a lot of sports podcasts. Same. And and there's there's almost always commentary about this in those. And I'm like, can we just talk about the sport itself? I like right. I like talking about who's doing what well and what's working and what's not. And, but there, there's sort of an obligation for them to address this, it seems. Dude, there's an obligation to address it. There's a sense of, like, nobody's really showing their cards in terms of what they actually think about it. Um, and that's, it, it, it sucks because it's like, you have the experience of hearing someone have to talk about it for like five to ten minutes, but also knowing that they're not saying everything that they want to say about it. Um, and it's just like, what are we even doing here? Um, well, yeah, know. but then, but then if they did, I mean, would it be better if they did say everything they thought about it? Uh, no, I mean, that's, we had, there was, there was a couple notable ESPN personalities who did that and that raised a whole ruckus too. So it did, um, man. And that's, that's actually a great segue into our next topic. So, um, and, and I want to, I'm actually curious before I get to the next topic, like who, who are you referencing? Uh, Jamel Hill is the one who comes to mind most recently. Gotcha, um, gotcha. I didn't know if there was anybody else. But. Well, in, in historically, Keith Olbermann was was yeah. known as a uh, not afraid to voice his opinions. Now he has also completely jumped the shark when it sure. comes to his expression of political like political punditry because um, yeah. he has the freedom to do so do so on his own sort of show now. But I, mean, I don't so, know that he's so much jumped the shark as much as like. He was the first one to really do a whole lot of it. And it was off-putting to people at the time, but now everybody's kind of doing some version of that. You know what I mean? Well, he, he seems that he's a, he's a more intelligent, more well-spoken, and decidedly left-leaning like Sean Hannity. Yeah. Or, or Bill O'Reilly or whoever. Just like the the guy who, you you know his angle before he starts, and it's going to be just haymakers at the right. It's going to be haymakers at the right, and it's going to be unspeakably smug. 
Oh, which yeah, which just, was always sort of like the Olbermann shtick. That guy makes Alec Baldwin look like a humble, humble servant, humble and self-effacing. Yeah, no, he's unspeakably smug. Which, when he was talking about like baseball, was fine and it was kind of entertaining. But as soon as he started talking about things that mattered, it became insufferable. Right, because um, intellectual, like when you when you bring somebody that intellectual and that smug into like what has normally been like a, a crotch grabbing tobacco spitting environment, it creates sort of like this. Well, this is fun. Like, what's going on here? Yeah, and and but then when you put him in the political realm, where like everybody acts just like him, and he may everybody's be smarter. super smart. Everybody's unspeakably smug. It's just like, like, oh, he's just shouting louder than other people now. Exactly, exactly. So okay, so you mentioned Jamel Hill. Um, she is an African-American host of a show on ESPN. Um, she's a journalist. She's written. Um, she's been on the radio for ESPN. And now uh, she's on television for ESPN. And you'll have, to, you'll have to pull up or summarize succinctly what it was that she tweeted. We got to go into the Wayback Machine a couple of weeks. Because this is a thing that, you know, it's rare that you and I disagree, Pipe. But mm-hmm. this is a thing that we kind of disagreed on uh, via text. And we made like a mental note to talk about it on the show. Right. And uh, this became the week to do it. So what did she what I did, did she not. Say? Yeah, I don't have the exact comments in front of me, but it was very strong anti-Trump sentiments. Yeah. Um, right. I think the I word mean, bigot was used. Yeah. And when I say when I say strong anti-Trump, it wasn't like I disagree. It was it was essentially saying, you know, he he is he, he's a, he is a yeah, he is a, a bigot. He is a racist. He is a. And he, he has no business being the president. That was the, right. the gist of her tweets. Um, so, and this is, this is coming from ESPN, which has a notoriously, well, some people would say they're very left-leaning. Sure. Um, but they also have a notoriously inconsistent posture on letting employees speak freely about mm-hmm. political and, and religious issues because there are some who get away with it. Sure. It seems. And mm-hmm. some who are chastised. But it her comments raised a whole ruckus calling for her to be fired from people on the right and mm-hmm. others defending it and talking about free speech. And then there was the whole stick to sports side of things. So mm-hmm. that was sort of the, the hubbub around it. Yeah. Yeah. So many questions here, man. I guess, you know, rather than talking about should she have been fired than that, for that, I, I guess I want to ask you, do you think do you think ESPN should stick, should stick to sports or do you think it's kind of within their purview to do some more of this commentary? And to be fair to her, this was her, this was her own social media activity. So this wasn't her necessarily as an emissary of the show or the network as much as it was just her kind of, you know, going off on Twitter. Well, that, um, while that's true, I, having known a couple ESPN employees over the years, um, they are very they they are very aware of what their employees post on personal things. Oh, sure. Because especially the on-air personalities mm-hmm. are representing, I mean, they see them as perpetual representations of the network. So they can tweet about right. like going to dinner with their spouse if they would like, that's fine. But when they start to get into contentious issues, uh, the higher ups at ESPN get very, very nervous and upset. So, Which is its own weird kind of philosophical question. Like, right. is anything yours at that point? Um you know, if you're a talking head on a network like ESPN, do you have, I mean, is there any place that you can be yeah, not getting, an emissary of the program? Yeah, you you're know? getting into like intellectual property questions. Right. And, you know, I mean, and it, and it is, it is a tricky one because if, if Jamel Hill was sitting at a restaurant and loudly expressing political opinions and people around her heard and they're like, hey, she works at ESPN and word got back to the higher ups. Is uh-huh. that different than tweeting it to however many tens of thousands of followers she has? Yeah. I, you know, is these questions, <laughs> these questions get really muddy really fast. Like what is the sort of the ethical, uh, where's the, where are the ethical lines for employers and employees? I, yeah. yeah, I don't think she should have been fired for it. Uh, if they have a hard and fast policy about political things, Mm-hmm. then they just need to make sure it's it's even-handedly enforced across all employees and all political opinions. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And to be clear, I don't think she should be fired for, for that. It was more just, our conversation was more along the lines of, you, you don't literally like her show. everyone I've ever talked to hates her show. And wouldn't this be a convenient time for ESPN to, to part ways with her? But um, I kind of knew that wasn't going to happen, and I think everyone else knew that too. 
See, and that was where we parted ways was the hating of the show part, it, yeah. you know, where you and I had a disagreement. Now, I don't watch it with any regularity, yeah. but what I do like to see is ESPN moving away from the attractive blonde pencil skirt uh, sports center host as sort of like that. And then like the, you know, the suited clean cut uh, retail banker looking guy by her side uh-huh. making Stuart Scott's jokes. Right. on air. Um, yeah. So I I like that they decided that they're just going to do something totally different, especially because their ratings stink and they're losing money. So, yeah. and and the fact that they brought in Michael Smith, who I really, really like, mm-hmm. and Jamel Hill, who I wasn't that familiar with, although I'd read some of her writing and, and she's she's a good journalist and writer. Yeah. Um, I I liked the the direction they were trying. So it was less about like, oh, I love that show and you hate that show and more like, I'm mm-hmm. glad they're giving it a go because they need something. And I think the entertainment sports world needs that. And it's really significant that a black man and a black woman are co-hosting a primetime sports conversation show. Um, that hasn't happened before. So, Yeah, that's true. I guess I just wish the show was better. And it, it's yeah. funny, man. I feel like they're... They're trying to recreate something in a heavy-handed way that ESPN in its early years sort of happened into. You know what I mean? I feel like, and I don't know how far back you go with ESPN, but I'm a few years like that. The Berman Dan Patrick days. Yeah, I'm talking about the early days in which you know there were women on Sports Center. They weren't your typical like you know Barbie doll, pencil skirt, you know kind of archetype women. You know, they seemed very knowledgeable about sports. They had their own kind of personality brands. And it seemed like in the 90s, this sort of thing was just happening for ESPN. Because at that time, ESPN was sort of the, they were kind of the low-budget punk rock rebel. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas now, they're the gigantic corporate monolith that's sort of forever trying to massage its own perception in the marketplace and they're generally like failing at it. You know what I mean? Yeah, they, um, it feels a little bit like a middle-aged dad trying to get cool. Dude, right. You know, so he starts to do his hair differently and he ends up with like, he ends up with the gel spikes. Or he buys a Run DMC t-shirt and it's like, dad, everybody knows that's not you, you know? <laughs> yeah, you don't even know who Run DMC is. Exactly. So I don't know, man. Um, I guess back to the original question though. Do you think ESPN should be kind of quote unquote doing politics? And there are different ways in which they quote unquote do politics. Um, it has a lot to do with, I think, the, the, the kinds of features that they run both in print and, you know, in the, in the televised product, the kind of awards they give to the sorts of people that they give them to. Are you talking about like the Courage Award for a Courage Award? I'm talking about just the, a retired athlete who switched genders. Right. And just the kinds of things that they celebrate. I think all this has added to the perception that ESPN has somehow gotten into the politics business. Um, do you think that's contributed to their decline in terms of viewership and just people being excited about ESPN? I, yeah, I mean, I think that's it. I think that's a part of it. Um, I think here's the thing. I think when you start catering to the crowd who who's super excited about the courage of a retired athlete switching gender. Uh-huh. Uh, y- y- those are not your hardcore sports fans. Right. And the thing that will keep ESPN alive is live action sports. Yeah. It is, it is the NFL. It is the NBA. It is college football. Yeah. Um, if they can get into the soccer realm, they may already be. I don't really follow soccer closely enough to They're know. They're pushing it really hard. I mean, I mean it feels like kind of when they push the WNBA super hard, it's like come hell or high water, they're going to make the public care about the, I don't yeah, know. I mean, to, to, to be you fair, know. okay, yeah, I don't know if they, I don't know if they can make MLS work, but I mean, soccer <laughs> yeah. is actually a, a profitable, thriving uh, sure, industry. Sure. So I think, I mean, moving the more they move away from those things, the more it just, yeah, it just feels like they're they're just throwing things against the wall to see what sticks, mm. and uh, yeah, and it's just it just it it's not working, and. Because people used to go there for sports highlights. That's what Sports Center was. Right. It was highlights with funny guys making jokes in between more highlights. Right. There weren't features even. There wasn't a yeah. soft focus feature about any athlete, much less a 
you know, a gay athlete or a transgender athlete or whatever. And it just seems like, you know, more and more, that's what, that's what it's become. And the thing is, I think they're so big that they can do no right anymore. Yeah. Um, because it, they're, they're so big, it's going to be very hard to fail, or at least it will mm-hmm. take a long time. But mm-hmm. they can also do no right, because if they decided we're only doing sports sports, people will say, but but what about these protests? But what yeah, about— right. You're taking the easy you know, way out. You yeah. Know. Yeah. You know, what What about the first female coach in this sport? What about these things that are that are notable social issues? And they do matter. But right. what's their place? So, but if they get too far into those, then they lose the person who's like, I'm, I'm just here to watch a 500 foot Homer. Like I want to see, sure. I want to see sure. the top, I want to see web gems. I want to see mm-hmm. the top 10 plays from last night. I want to see, uh, you know, Steph Curry hitting 35 foot three pointers. Like these are the things that mm-hmm. I'm here for. And mm-hmm. I fall more in that latter category. Like I, I can come up with my own commentary on these things. I don't need ESPN sure. for this stuff. So yeah. I wish they would go to sports. I don't think they can. Yeah. No, I get it. I totally get it. Which begs the question, do you think anyone can do any right anymore? And <laughs> it's, I, I, a, it's a depressingly good question. It's a depressingly good and big question. And and the reason I ask it is that there was something that happened a day or two ago in which someone did something right and was kind of roundly praised for it. And it shocked me. But it didn't shock me given what he said. So the, the someone that I'm referencing here is Greg Popovich, who is the, the head coach of the San Antonio Spurs. If you're an NBA fan, you know that. Um, kind of an elder statesman. He's been in, in the league, in the game for a super long time. And I have a lot of admiration for him as a coach. But And he's a, he's a war veteran, so that helped. He kind of had the right pipe. He had the right sort of uh, recipe to be able to say what he said. Mm-hmm. And basically what he said was white people don't understand white privilege, which is a, you know, which is, it, it, it's a statement that's always going to get you patted on the back by most people. You know, I mean, it's, it's good to be humble for one thing, but it's also like, it's just a very palatable thing to hear a white person say nowadays. So, yeah. um, so he understood that aspect of it too. But I, I tell you, man, it was one of the only instances I can think of in which, you know, somebody did something right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it is a, can people do things right anymore? Well, it's like, it's like the question of, you know, you're asking about sort of the right way to protest or the right way to end the protest, or is this furthering the conversation? And I'm just like, it's, there is no right way to do it. I mean, there's right, right way morally and ethically and whatever else, but right, right, right. there's no effective way to do it. Right. And, and even, you know, even Popovich's comments, the other problem is if you do something right, every, everything is forgotten in 48 to 72 hours. That's true. So by the time this airs, he'll be like results seven, three, 7,312 on Google. When you go look up like Greg Pop, Greg Popovich quotes or whatever, because it, because yeah. several days would have passed yeah. and that's, so good things don't have an impact mm-hmm. because they're forgotten so fast That's and true. controversy lasts for a little while. And so, yeah, the, the answer, I mean, I think, I think in terms of living life, if we were going to boil this down to us, we just, all you could do is just, you just do your best and, yeah. you know, try to be a steady hand every day. Those of us who write or speak, try to contribute something of intelligence and hope that it, that it has an impact, sure. but just know that you're like, you're just throwing stuff into a fast moving stream and it's getting washed away so fast. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. I I guess that's where I, where I fall on most of this stuff. And this will come as no surprise to anyone who listens to the program, but big kind of protest issues like this, they just make me feel small. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They remind me of like the very limited scope of my impact. And I guess being reminded of that compels me to not really want to say much. You know what I mean? You said something earlier, just in passing, as you described like the situation that you're in right now as a coach. Yeah. That I think that's more indicative of what doing something right looks like now. Shouting Mm -hmm. on social media, which I do plenty of. um, Mm -hmm. And... And and writing blog posts and think pieces and, and doing podcasts like this, that's... that's maybe right, maybe wrong, but you're talking about where lives intersect with other people and a natural 
relational interaction where if you said something that acknowledged uh, your white privilege Mm -hmm. to a black player, that's likely to last in his mindset and life significantly longer than anything we say on this podcast will last for anybody. You know, I hope so. Definitely. And I think as you were talking about that, like the thing that really hits home to me is just service. Like whether these dudes were white or black or whatever, as their coach, like I really want to serve them. Um, my, my job is to serve them. And really that's what, that's what makes you want to coach, you know? Mm-hmm. And man, it just, it, it really, it really drives home to me the point of, you know, rather than trying to have the clever comment or say the thing in the comment section or even say a thing on this podcast that would, you know, somehow, I don't know, be clever or witty or entertaining to people about these issues. You know, I feel the best about it when I'm serving those guys. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe that's the, maybe that's the stream for me that I need to continue in. Well, I mean, Um, but I think that's, I think that's real life for anybody. So for, you know, we, before before we recorded the episode last week, we were just chit-chatting about the story that broke at Wheaton College, my alma mater, about mm-hmm. five players who are now facing charges for abusing a former teammate, um, yeah. you know, assaulting a former teammate. Yeah, and yeah. setting all facts and, and, and the legal case aside. So because mm-hmm. because that's in the hands of the court, I don't know the story, um, and that will be resolved in time, however it will be resolved. Sure. But on like the message boards for Wheaton College alumni and on blog posts and articles, people's vitriolic reactions towards this, either in defense of the school or in opposition to it. People who are like, I'm done with Wheaton. They're never getting another dollar of mine. People who are like, I'm so sad. My kids will never go to a school like that. Huh. These are kids I went to college with and we loved Wheaton and, yeah. and I still do. So I see that and I go, I can contribute to this noise. And yeah. I, I wrote a, I wrote an article about it, but it was essentially an article saying live between the two sides, not on, on one of the two sides. Sure. And but but I have nothing else to say online. But tomorrow I'm going to go get together and hang out with a friend who I went to college with, and my guess is we'll talk about this. And he's yeah. a former football player, yeah. and he will have opinions about this. Sure. And that's an interaction where one of us. But or both of us can benefit the other in in sorting through a difficult conversation. The same yeah. is true for racial issues or political right. issues. That one to one conversation where it's not the shouting online. So I mean, I think you talk about serving those players, and that's the stream you need to to sort of swim in that slower moving, <laughs> more connected kind of thing. I think that's true for everybody. Like the yeah. shouting online can make you aware of what the issue is, but the issue will only be resolved in context with a real human being, not not in writing on the web. Right, exactly. And and I mean, I'm sad for those folks who say, I'll never send my kid to Wheaton because of this one isolated incident that has a lot more to do with a handful of football players than anything that, any kind of tone that the school sets, you know? And there's so much good that happens in football that people never see. Yeah. And I think the the natural manifestation of the kind of culture that we live in is that, you know, like you said many times, you know, the bad gets so much more ink, so much more column space, so much more, so many more minutes devoting to yell, devoted to yelling and screaming that, you know, all the good that happens in the sport and in, in a lot of different sports, you just don't hear about it. You know, all the positive relationships, the friendships, the, the lifelong stuff that goes on, um, you know, those stories really aren't, really aren't being told and it's a shame, but, um, yeah, I, I hope I have no doubt that you and your friend from Wheaton will have a good conversation about it and it will be helpful for the two of you, but the yelling and screaming online will persist. And I guess that's the part of it that bums me out the most. It'll persist, but I also think it'll be forgotten at some point. I mean, this is going to get dragged out because court cases do get dragged out for a very long time, but I think People who respond with that much vitriol, I, I mean, I think they're like fireworks. Yeah. They, they're just constantly exploding at something, but none of those explosions are like a sustained burning passion. They're just That's true. They're just reactive. That's true. That's true. And they're spread thin in the outrage, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, when you live for outrage and that's your chief form of entertainment, there's just 
there's too much to go around. You can't really focus it very well. Um, yeah. Well, we've gone almost an hour on this pipe. This has been uh, this has been you and me like keeping it serious for almost an entire hour. No, and we and we avoided talking really about football in any technical yeah. way. Which takes a lot of restraint, I have to I say, because there was, were a couple times where I really wanted to go there, man. Because we enjoyed it was, it. was tough. It was tough not to. And I mean, we even left out a topic that we had on the board. That's that, true. That was more sporty. Like, it was very That's decidedly true. sporty. So that that'll have to wait for another episode. It'll absolutely, man. It'll and keep. I left it out on purpose. I don't want. Uh, you know, people may hate this episode for a variety of reasons, but I don't want that to be the chief reason, you know. They'll mostly hate it because Ronnie's not here and he's the most likable one on the podcast. Oh, absolutely. They love Ron. So you they, you know what, though? I mean, they can catch Ron at any, like, assortment of Midwestern cities. That's the thing. I mean, really, every weekend is live in Louisville for him because if you if you know his travel sketch— um, you can you can catch them in a lot of different places. Live in Akron, live in Pittsburgh, live in Minneapolis, live in Louisville, live in who the heck knows where. He's all over the place. He is all over the place, absolutely. And, uh, you know, he will be in Louisville on October 22nd. We know that for a fact. So if you haven't done so already, get your tickets. Um, and this has been Pipe and I keeping it serious, wandering to and fro. And until next time, Rachel LaHeld Evans. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. If you go to ResonateRecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast. God kept calling my heart. Like, I just knew he was my safe place. I hope people don't walk away going, wow, you're really awesome. More than like, wow, Jesus is really interesting. And he's really awesome. Everybody on this planet is dealing with some sort of what if. How does that one courageous decision affect the whole world? A ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. If you were encouraged by what you just heard, please search Trevor Talks on your favorite podcast platform or lifeaudio.com.